reading of the scriptures from Acts chapter 9, reading verses 32 to 43, and I invite your hearing of the word of God in faith and joy. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then, calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with Simon, a tanner. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Most of you, uh, perhaps all of you, uh, are probably aware of the fact that, uh, what, some 76 years ago, uh, uh, Allied nations were uh, surging uh, onto the beaches uh, in, in France, certainly the American sector, Normandy. Uh, the single greatest seaborne invasion in all the world. Just incredible, like 7,000 ships. Can you imagine? 7,000 ships, English Channel. Uh, well, uh, enough of that. It's It is not, however, the greatest invasion in the world. Uh, The greatest invasion, of course, the coming Christ and the outpouring of the Spirit, Acts chapter 2, inaugurating the last days. The greatest invasion. Uh, It's interesting when you study the seaborne invasion by the Allies, uh, they ran into almost immediate logistical difficulties. I mean, they were surging everything in terms of supplies but supplies rapidly run out. Uh, The supplies of the power of God never run out. It's incredible. So it is indeed the greatest invasion in all the world. Uh, And uh, it is surging here in a remarkable way uh, that we should be profoundly thankful for in terms of the implications in uh, Acts chapter 9. Because it's an illustration that the power of the word is surging in preparation for advance among the Gentiles. I mean, we've studied Acts chapter 1-8, 
preaching the word in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, but there's preparation for the word of God advancing to Gentiles. Uh, yes, Gentiles came to faith in the Old Testament, but always through Israel. Now all of that is about to radically change in this greatest of all power surges in all the world, the greatest of all invasions in all of the world. Uh, we, we shift now very quickly, momentarily, from Paul to Peter. Uh, the geographic movement is uh, northwest out of Jerusalem to Lydda and Joppa, where uh, Peter will stay with Simon uh, Tanner. Uh, that in and of itself, I think, is a great hint because of uh, access to dead bodies, uh, Tanner, uh, and uh, for a Jew, that would render them unclean. But again, remarkable hints in the book of Acts that all that's about to radically change. Uh, and, and we begin with, uh, with Peter uh, passing through the region. Uh, obviously, it's a geographic marker, but, but so much more than that. It's eschatological fulfillment. That's really... I think the dominant theme of the entire book of Acts, eschatological fulfillment, this greatest of all invasions, foretold in the Old Testament, now it's occurring. And, uh, and we should be in awe of it. Uh, even though it's a couple thousand years old, we should be in incredible awe of it because the power surges continue to this very day. Remarkable way. Uh, the verb uh, passing through the region is... Uh, is often associated with the missionary movements of the disciples. And parallel to that is the advance of the word. Uh, I mean, let's remind ourselves of this uh, very quickly. Uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Uh, Therefore, those who had been scattered, uh, you know, God sovereignly working persecution to scatter the people, to force, if you will, the preaching of the word. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Uh, look at you, if you will, at Acts chapter eight, verse forty. Uh, but Philip found himself at Azotus as he passed through. He kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Kept preaching the gospel, no let up. Uh, Acts chapter eleven, verse nineteen. Um, so then, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. That, that's about to change in a radical way. And of course, a beautiful expression of this, uh, Paul to the church at Ephesus, uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 25. Uh, and now behold, I know that uh, you all among whom I went about preaching the kingdom, will see my face no longer, but preaching the kingdom. The driving, surging effects of this invasion uh, through the apostles and through, through the church. Uh, parallel with all of this is uh, uh, the advance to a Gentile centurion that we will soon pick up. Uh, the subtle shifts really should not be so subtle uh, because uh, of the surge of the power of God uh, invading the nations. Uh, you know, by the way... Uh, we should, we should imitate uh, the apostles uh, in the first century church. Uh, 
as we move about sharing the word, preaching the kingdom of God. Because there are no accidents in the sovereignty of God. Uh, and what we go about preaching is an essential element of this invasion that there's life in Christ alone. Uh, there's life nowhere else. Nowhere else. It's in Christ alone. So uh, that is what we, uh, what we are watching in this invasion, and uh, we should uh, experience it in our own lives, Grace Bible Church. So the power of the end time uh, word is advancing, but uh, the eschatological fulfillment is that the end time restoration foretold by the prophets has begun. So the end time restoration has started. Uh, a parallel phrase would be the new creation has begun. Uh, surging in power, the invasion. Uh, and it, uh, it occurs here geographically in Lydda, verses 32 to 35, and then in Joppa, verses 36 uh, to, uh, to 43. So let's... Uh, Let's look at what, what occurs in uh, Lydda in verses 32 to 35. Uh, Peter uh, encounters a paralytic named Aeneas, and uh, Peter says to him, uh, Jesus Christ heals you. Then he commands him, arise, make your bed. And then verse 34, I love the, I love the follow-on to that, and immediately he arose. Uh, just the power of the end-time restoration uh, begun. Uh, it is, uh, it's, by the way, parallel to the uh, healing of the, the paralytic in uh, Matthew chapter 9, uh, verses 6 to 7. Let's look at that text uh, uh, because it's, a, it's an indication of, of what, Christ is, uh, what Christ is doing. Again, Matthew... Uh, chapter 9, uh, in verses 6 to 7. Uh, again, Jesus encounters a paralytic. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 6. But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, and he said to the paralytic, Rise, take up your bed, and go home. Uh, and he does. Incredible. Testifying the Son of Man inaugurates the end time uh, restoration. Uh, and it's linked to his restoration. We, we, you, you must uh, make that uh, connection. Uh, Luke does in Acts chapter 2 and verse 24. Uh, because he uses the same verb of the resurrection of, of Christ. Acts chapter 2 and verse 24, and God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. End time life has begun in Jesus that death cannot hold the sons of God, could not hold the Son of God, the Lord Jesus. It's very interesting when I was, uh, when I was visiting the beaches of... <laughs> Normandy, it's an incredible experience, but uh, you eventually go to the cemetery there, the Allied Cemetery for American soldiers. I, mean, I don't know exactly how many, but some 9,400 uh, crosses and stars of David. 
testimony to the incredible price that was paid. Some of those are alive today because of Jesus Christ. Uh, I mean, their bodies may be in the grave, but that's only temporary too. But their spirits are with the Lord uh, because of the resurrection of Christ and the surge of power, this greatest of invasions. And so this, this uh, rising up of the paralytic is linked to the resurrection of Christ. It's an echo of, uh, of God's promise. And this is much more important than the geographic movement. It's an echo of God's promise in Isaiah 57. If you have your Old Testament, I encourage you to turn there. Because the prophets are writing about this event, and you and I are reading it in the book of Acts. Isaiah 57, 18, I have seen his way, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and to his mourners creating the praise of the lips, peace be to him who is far, peace who is near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. So Isaiah is prophesying of these great acts of healing as markers of prophetic fulfillment in time restoration. So important to recognize that. Uh, context in Isaiah 57 is God counseling repentance in preparation for its turning from anger to reconciliation and peace. And God brings healing and restoration. And the end time promises are surging in acts. Uh, we, we, of course, uh, rejoice in the joy of it. I mean, like, like many of you, I've been to the funerals of my loved ones, uh, knowing uh, that uh, the death of their bodies is only temporary because of the resurrection of Christ. And uh, when I go to the grave of my mother and father, their spirits are not there. Why is that? The moment they died, their spirits entered into the presence of a glorious God. That's the reality of the resurrection power, this great invasion. So yes, we sorrow. I mean, I you know, went to the always go Memorial Day to the grave of my parents and kind of police them up. And uh, my father was a veteran, make sure the flag is standing, but I'll see him again. Incredible promise. Hope of the gospel. Life in Christ. What's occurring in Acts. And uh, uh, the result is uh, the people in Lydda, uh, verse 35 of Acts chapter 9, uh, and Sharon saw him uh, and uh, uh, turned to the Lord. Uh, I mean, they knew immediately what was occurring. So they turned to the Lord. The immediate response. It's a great illustration of the power, not just that a paralytic is healed in fulfillment of Isaiah 57, but its residual effects causes people to turn to the Lord. Acts chapter, Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. 
Repent, therefore, and turn. New American Standard reads return, but turn, that your sins may be wiped away, in order that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Times of refreshing, in time restoration. Come, invasion. Uh, this, is, uh, this word is used of a, a Gentile church at Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you, how you turned to God from idols to serve uh, living and true God. They turn uh, from their idols. Uh, you and I live in an incredibly idolatrous culture. Uh, but in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, uh, men and women... When the Spirit invades their hearts, they turn from idols uh, to the living and true God. Our God is alive. Uh, it's not some piece of rock somewhere fashioned into an image or whatever. Uh, he, he lives. He's a living God. Uh, and, and because of the resurrection life in Christ, uh, people are caught up in that and they turn from their false gods to the true God. The, the Messianic blessings are uh, surging in fulfillment. Uh, and the gospel tells us about them and reminds us that more is to come. More is to come. In, uh, in Joppa, the surge is even more powerful for, for not even death can uh, slow the advance. Tabitha or Dorcas, uh, a godly woman, dies. Uh, and the disciples call for Peter. Uh, he goes to the wake, uh, where there's the usual weeping uh, and display of uh, sadness, and I I'm sure people telling stories about uh, what a good woman Dorcas was. Peter prays. Acts chapter 9, verse 40. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. It's the same, same verb as in verse 34. Arise. Rise up from the dead. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And uh, Peter goes and presents her alive to those that were gathered. And uh, in verse 42, it became known all over Joppa and many believed in the Lord. Many turned because of the power. Uh, this, this account uh, likewise is, uh, is a parallel, uh, I believe, uh, to the account in Mark chapter 5. Uh, the context is the death of the daughter of a synagogue official. And uh, Jesus goes to the home. Uh, there's a wake, of course, with uh, weeping and wailing. And uh, Jesus puts them all out except for her parents and his disciples. And uh, let's, let's read Mark chapter 5, verse 41. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means little girl, 
I say to you, arise. And immediately she arose. The end time restoration, end time life begun. She arose, same verb as in 934 of Acts and verse 40 of Acts. It's very interesting to me that Jesus doesn't have to pray. <laughs> Peter has to pray. Jesus doesn't have to. As creator, he doesn't need to. All he needs to do is command. I mean, if you want to know a Savior of power and of life, Christ is it. Uh, he doesn't have to pray. He doesn't have to do silly things. He just simply speaks. And life surges into the little girl. And she's resurrected. And, and notice, by the way, that all of these events are uh, independent of faith. Uh, great illustration of this, uh, my own mind, in uh, Luke uh, chapter 7, verses 12 to 15. As he approached the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother. She was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. I mean, that's sadness. A widow loses her only son. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. And he came up and touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt. And he said, Young man, I say to you, Arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Only Christ can do that. I mean, that's really a miracle. Uh, I, I have some friends who are continuationists. They believe all of the miracles of scriptures uh, we can do today. Well, I've, I've never seen this one, but who am I? Uh, very limited spoke, but, uh, but the reminder is that Christ is the Lord of life. He's the Lord of death, and he's the Lord of life. He is one that compels belief uh, because of who he is. If you're not a Christian, you should turn to the Lord, because you're certainly turning to the right person uh, who himself uh, rose from the dead. Uh, and this continuity with Jesus' power is evident in the disciples. I happen to believe that they're evident, uh, uh, clustered around the disciples. Uh, you know, but if you think about it, we, we, we see the fakes today. I'm, a couple of months ago, we watched in the ch church uh, expose of uh, Benny Hinn. I was always struck by the fact, uh, I didn't really realize this until I watched the expose, but, uh, but obviously many, many people go to those things thinking that they can get healed because there's the promise of of healing, and, and some of them go in very tragic physical conditions, paralytics, and on and on. But he has, uh, he has people who screens, who screens them out. They, uh, they never make it to the front, is the point, because they know that hen can't heal them. It's incredible fakery. But not with Jesus. We turn with him, you get real life. The compelling uh, point of the invasion of the resurrection, the coming of the Spirit. More importantly, uh, the miracles are a, uh, uh, or a prelude to a surge in outreach uh, to uh, 
surge among Gentiles or phase three of Acts 1-8. But there's also uh, indirect prophetic fulfillment uh, here uh, in in, uh, in typology. Uh, If you would uh, turn to uh, 1 Kings, great reminder of uh, of the power of God, 1 Kings chapter 17. The context is uh, incredible idolatry under under Ahab. And uh, Elijah announces a drought. And that is uh, very significant because uh, the children of Israel were were worshiping Baal. And Baal was the god of fertility and storms. And so Elijah announces a drought, meaning that... uh, God controls Baal. In fact, there is no Baal. So a drought comes. God trumps uh, Baal by bringing a drought which causes a famine. And uh, it's announced, uh, 1 Kings 17:2, by the word of the Lord. Uh, and Elijah tells, uh, God tells Elijah to go east where there is a brook. And ravens uh, bring him food. What's very interesting about ravens is they were unclean animals. Unclean birds bring him bread and meat. Uh, Bread and meat, which is a parallel uh, to Israel in the wilderness, signifying that the prophet is a remnant of true Israel. The idolaters confess physically belong to Israel, but uh, the prophet is a remnant of true Israel, and God is caring for him Uh, like he cared for the people in the wilderness. And because of the drought, the brook dries up. And God tells Elijah to go to Zarephath to a Gentile widow. 1 Kings 17. In verse 8, the word of the Lord came to him. So that you can see parallel to this surging of powers, the word, reminding us of the importance of the word. And... uh, Interesting about this widow is uh, her cupboard is almost, it's almost empty. And uh, Elijah says, bake it all, I'll take it all. He takes it for a meal and tells her that according to the word of God, the Lord will cause her flour and her oil uh, not to run out until God sends rain. My friend, that's power, that's life. Uh, so interesting that... Uh, prophet says, uh, I'll take everything in your cupboard, and by the way, the Lord will restock your cupboard until he sends rain. Because he's the, he's the God of rain, not Baal. He brings life, not Baal. If you look at verse 16, uh, 1 Kings 17, now it came about after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became sick. And his sickness was so severe that there was no breath in him. So he dies. Uh, just like uh, what occurred in in Gospel of Mark, the only son of a widow dies. Now let's look at verses 21 to 23. The prophet stretched himself upon the child three times and called to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray thee, let this child's life return to him. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the life of the child returned to him, and he revived. 
And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son is alive. The woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. That's why you turn to the one true God. Because the word is true. He has power. And the son was brought back to life. And now it's occurring again. The book of Acts. The Gospels. Sons are being resurrected to life. In the power of God. Another great uh, illusion, again, I think it's typological fulfillment uh, that uh, parallel to what is occurring in Acts as well as the Gospels is uh, 2 Kings chapter 4. Uh, again, I encourage you to turn in your Old Testaments. 2 Kings chapter 4. A uh, prominent woman and her husband in uh, Shunem feed and provide shelter for the prophet. Very interesting uh, because Shunem is outside of Israel. So God in his power is reaching, saving outsiders. Uh, so glad he does. Uh, none of us would ever come to faith. Uh, and this couple is childless. Elisha promises her a son. You know, by the way, uh, just as an interlude of the prophet uh, promising her a son, uh, I love the, uh, love the words of... Uh, of the Apostle Paul uh, in Romans uh, chapter 4, verse 19. I'm sure you're very familiar with them. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. Uh, and so they have a son. According to the promises of God, who can take what is dead and grant life. Only our God can do that. The promises of life. Uh, and uh, uh, she has a son. And uh, tragically, he dies. Second uh, Kings chapter 4, uh, verses uh, 34 to 36. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth and his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands. He stretched himself on him and the flesh of the child became warm. Then he returned and walked in the house once back and forth, went up and stretched himself on him and the lad sneezed seven times and the lad opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. So he called her and when she came into him, he said, take up your son. Can you imagine The, uh, the power that's uh, inherently present in the word of our God. Uh, and both of these contexts in Kings have a greater fulfillment than the miracles of Acts where there is a parallel surging of the word to prepare for outreach to the Gentiles. Uh, and this, this prophetic fulfillment 
is, uh, is announced again clearly in the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 25. Context is a banquet in which God promises to remove the veil of death. Isaiah 25, 8, he will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces, and he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. You and I that that is fulfilled fully in Revelation 21, 4. I'm just suggesting to you that the surge has begun when people turn to the Lord and come to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, and uh, it's, it's the cause of a great celebration. I mean, you couldn't do but otherwise, could you? When the death, dead come back to life from you, they'll throw a party. That's what's going to happen in Revelation 21, the greatest party of all time. Uh, but, but there is inaugurated fulfillment here. We, we sometimes neglect that. I had a friend of mine once tell me, well, what do you preach to Acts for? It's just, just, you know, geographic movements. No, it's eschatological fulfillment. You miss that, you miss the power of the Word of God. And the eradication of the curse that will, is our ultimate grand promise. Now Luke is telling us that the restoration and creation promises of life have begun in Son and Spirit. And uh, you and I know that life begins in him immediately. Uh, uh, your spirit was dead. He gives you life. Immediately. Promise of the gospel. Uh, Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2, 1, and you were dead in sin. Verse 5, he made you alive. I, I know some of you are saying, well, Phil, I've, I've never seen one of these resurrections. Yeah, you have. If you're a Christian, you're a part of it. It's already surged in you because you were dead in sin. And notice again Ephesians 2.5, He made you alive. What is that but eschatological fulfillment and the surging of the power of the Word? Uh, dead men can't come to life except for God. And that's exactly what happened in your soul if you're a Christian. <laughs> You were dead and he made you alive. That's, that's why the parting should never run out. Uh, I love the, the text in Isaiah 26, 19. Uh, the prophet says, your dead will live. Their corpses will rise. You who lie in dust, awake and shout for joy, for your due this is the dew of the dawn, and the earth will give birth to the departed spirits. So, I mean, Jesus tells us this in John 3, 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. Life now. Life has begun. How did it begin? Dead men can't live. Uh, they can when Jesus' power surges in them. They live. They come to life. Eternal life has begun. It's not just way in the future. It started. That's why, again, we should always be thankful and praise Him I mean, there, there should be a continual party in the church uh, because we escape uh, the second death uh, because of the grace of God. Because life is in Jesus, it will see us into the finality of the eternal estate uh, and the total removal, eradication of the curse. Uh, 
this, uh, this picture is amplified in the wake for uh, Tabitha. Peter presents her to the assembled alive. Uh, imagine what they thought. I mean, how can the dead live? That's the word of God. <laughs> the power of Christ. I mean, it's like the, the train of the glory of the resurrection of Christ uh, catches, catches many, brings them to life because of the power inherent in it. I was reminded of that when I was listening. This encounter of the Normandy invasion. Great storm comes immediately after the invasion. Uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the mulberries are all blown out. The, the uh, artificial harbors that they had built and everything begins to dry up. Troops are running out of ammunition. What's going to happen? My friend, that doesn't happen with the power of God. His supply depots never run out. Just the glory of the gospel. Resurrected power, there's life in Christ. Isaiah uh, chapter 35, verse 10. And the ransom to the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion. With everlasting joy upon their heads, they will find gladness and joy and sorrow and sigh. I love these words. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. It's incredible. It's reduplicated in Isaiah 51:11. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Again, I, I, think, I think the gathering of the church on Sunday mornings uh, ought to be a party atmosphere because of everything that the Word means and everything that Christ has done. And that for you and me who know the Savior, sorrow and sighing will flee away. Incredible promise. And it's only in Christ. Only. It's nowhere else. Uh, you can ransack every religion of the world. You can ransack all the libraries of the world. And you can read all of the books of religion. There is only life in Jesus Christ. Uh, the Word of God. A compelling, uh, compelling reminder and so, in the case of the funeral services here, the wake is over and many believed. Uh, the greater question is, uh, have you? Uh, because of the power of Christ. Uh, the, the grip that death has upon us is, uh, is lessened. Uh, our, uh, our spirits are made alive, uh, never ever to experience a second death. Never. And that's the greater death, as you know from the scriptures. Uh, death has let go of our spirits. It once held us because of the fall. Uh, it's now let go. Uh, and it will let go totally when Jesus comes again. And we are raised imperishable. 
Uh, I love some of my favorite phrase in all the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15, and we shall be changed. Can you imagine? Then the party will begin in earnest for all eternity. We shall be changed. But only for those in the Lord. Uh, we shall be changed to glory. Uh, the second death will change forever those outside of the Lord. But I love those words of Paul. We shall be changed. Great promise. Uh, but again, it's begun. We were dead. We were made alive, Ephesians 2.5. And then uh, we shall be changed. Uh, the psalmist says of the godless, it's different. Psalm 49.14. Of all who have rejected Christ or are outside of Christ, death will be their shepherd. That's a terrifying statement to me. Now, you and I, because we know the Savior, have the good shepherd. Death will be their shepherd. Uh, and the good shepherd will guide his sons to glory. I was, uh, you know, like you, I've been struck by the sadness of uh, this virus, uh, particularly... Uh, Obviously, hundreds of thousands of, uh, of death. Uh, but the saddest part to me that gripped me more than any other was a story in the Wall Street Journal of, uh, of because of the virus, people having to die alone. Uh, sometimes a, a nurse would try to hook up a phone connection with uh, family somewhere else. Uh, family could not be present for obvious reasons. Uh, Dying alone. Uh, it's kind of a terrifying thought. It's bad enough that death will shepherd those outside of Christ, but to die alone, a terrible thing. Uh, doesn't apply to Christians. Wherever we are, we never die alone. We die in the Savior. Uh, we die as an element of the vestiges of the power of His resurrection uh, in our spirits immediately swept up into heaven. All of the uh, uh, spirits of darkness trying to get us back, but they can't. Cannot stop us. Cannot prevent us from going to our eternal home immediately. Great promise of the power of the Word uh, that not even, not even death can stop sons of God. So it is surging in power to begin the invasion of the Gentiles and to sweep them into the restoration uh, promises to uh, greatest invasion of all time, Son and Spirit. Compelling reasons uh, uh, to believe. Uh, uh, may God give life, so many will. And the promise is that that is what He does, and so many will. Uh, and so every Sunday we should come with a spirit of joy and celebration. Uh, knowing that in part, we are the resurrected sons of the living God. And uh, someday soon, someday soon, may God hasten the day. Uh, sadness and sorrow will flee away from us as well. And may God give us grace to wait faithfully 
for that grand and glorious day.